I was uh, watching my favorite TV show with my wife when the main character who was in a pinch was asked this question. Do you have guys? The one asking was wondering, do you have people with you? People who have your back, who will, who will stand with you through thick and thin. It would not suffice to have fair-weather friends or those who run at the difficulty. The hero looked the man in the eye and he said, Oh, I have guys. And indeed he did. And that got me thinking, and as silly as it might sound, it got me praying. Being thankful for those in my life whose friendship has been proven, who did not and do not run or second guess, but simply walk beside me and with me. It also made me want to be a better friend. To let my friends know I don't care what has happened, I don't care what mess you're in, I am for you, I am with you, no matter what. Aristotle says he is unsure if friendship is a virtue because he is unsure of the habit that friendship habituates. After all, friendship is a relationship, so how can, how can a habit qualify as a relationship? But Aristotle will then turn around and say that friendship is the virtue most necessary for life. This is because all virtues are tested by their ability to sustain good and meaningful friendships. That is where their virtues are lived out, if you would. Virtues are lived out in relationship. I agree with the author who critically said that Americans are very friendly, but we aren't very good at being friends. Because, he continues, true friendships, that is, those where the virtues of friendship are lived, turn out to be very demanding and even costly. And most folks are simply unwilling. This morning I would like us to consider Abraham the friend of God, the only person ever to be delineated with that title. But as Abraham is the father of the faith, this friendship with God is to belong to those who, like Abraham, believe and trust in him. Now, One of the hopes in this series is to do a big sermon, so to speak, as we did last week, a sermon on the entire book, in this case of Genesis, and then to follow that up with one or two, and with Genesis because of its size, maybe even three, messages that walk out an aspect of that particular book, all in the hope that our study would be much more deep. One of the important things when we do this is to ask how the rest of the Bible uses the text we looked at or uses the book that we looked at. And as you no doubt are aware, Genesis is referred to all the time in the Bible and even Abraham, everywhere in the Bible after Genesis. So this in no way is comprehensive, but, but rather a look at just this one aspect of Abraham's life, that he was the friend of God. Three times in the Bible, Abraham is referred to in this manner, all of which were in our liturgy this morning. First and Second Chronicles 20, there God's people are surrounded by a hostile foe, much larger than any army Israel could muster. King Jehoshaphat is crying out to the Lord, reminding Yahweh of the promises made to Abraham, your friend. The second is found a few hundred years later when the prophet Isaiah 
again with forces arrayed against God's people and, and faith waning, finds God identifying the people as Israel, my servant, the offspring of Abraham, my friend. And then in the book of James, chapter 2, we read, Abraham believed God, and it was reckoned to him as righteousness, and he was called the friend of God. I read a couple of weeks ago that if you were to go to Israel or, or Palestine today, you would find that the town most associated with Abraham during his lifetime, the town of Hebron, has been named by the Muslims El Khalil, which is Arabic for the friend. Jew, Christian, and Muslim agree on this. Abraham was the friend of God. The person in life of Abraham in Genesis and then throughout Holy Writ gives to us a true sense of what is involved in being in relationship with God. And the word to, that is used to define that life or describe that life is the word friend. And it is the exact word that Jesus used in John 15, which we will get to in just a moment, to define his relationship with those who have left all to follow him. When I was an associate pastor in Tacoma, Pastor Rob Rayburn would, would take me with him everywhere that he could so that I could watch and learn. Those years remain precious to me. In one meeting, it was a meeting of ministers, but it was a, a very, very good-sized crowd. We were talking in, at the break time, and one of the men turned to me as he just seemed to realize who I was, and he said, Oh, you're Rob's little helper. He walked away, and another came and apologized for the seemingly insensitive comment. You know, really, there was no need to apologize. To be Rob's little helper was not an insult. To be identified with someone that I so admired and still do. To be labeled as someone who was learning from Rob or in Rob's camp. Well, to tell you the truth, it was and would continue to be an honor. To be Rob's little helper or, or to be Dana's husband. These are identity markers. And they are identity markers that I embrace, but more so, to be the friend of God. That too was a, a marker of identity. Who was Abraham? Well, he was God's friend. That's who he was. Abraham was on such terms with the Lord that he could and did respond without suspicion and without fear. Abraham knew that God was on his side, that God was for him that God was with him, that God would not be put off. The gods of the ancient Near East, of course, were just the opposite of this. They threw temper tantrums. They had to be appeased. They were coldly indifferent. Their worshipers would do their duties just to get the gods off their backs. And the last thing anyone would have thought was that Baal or Dagon was their friend. Our world and the gods of our world are quite different in the ancient Near East, but the result of our modernized deities is quite the same. It has and continues to produce fear and anxiety and guilt and shame and indifference. There is much in our day that threatens our security and our peace, and there, there is much that concludes in fear and, and thinking that we have to hide ourselves, for the gods of our age take our freedom. 
They take our lives. And Abraham stands out as a man who rose above the terrors of his day and instead lives as a friend of God. And and don't make the mistake of thinking that Abraham was God's friend because God gave him an easy life. Abraham's life was not cozy. It was not pampered. Read the story again this afternoon, Genesis 12 to about chapter 25. Read again of the life of Abraham and you will see this. Decades of childlessness. No doubt with a broken-hearted wife who couldn't understand what she had done or why the Lord said no to her desire, this godly desire, to be a mother. Leaving home for who knows where, only told to start walking. Who in this room would ever do such a thing? He lived through famine, danger from nations and marauders. He suffered the expulsion of Hagar and Ishmael from his home. And and say what you want about Ishmael. Remember, Ishmael was his son. The whole mess with Lot, praying and praying for them and then having to strap on a sword and go rescue him. And Abraham didn't always fare well. He had his doubts, his sins and his failures. He lied to protect his own skin, even though it put his wife in jeopardy. He laughed at God when the promises of God sounded to be too much. He played the coward with Abimelech. He was far from perfect. But listen carefully. Perfect is not a word on the human level. Perfect is not a word we use to describe friendship or relationship. And if it is, well then you're going to have no friends. And think about this, in chapter 12, when Abraham arrives at the destination, the land that God says he's going to give Abraham, we read in verse 6, at that time Canaanites were in the land. So he travels all this way because God says so, and God says he's going to give him a land, and when they get there, the land is already occupied. Surely Abraham had to have wondered, what's this all about? What am I supposed to do with all these people? Abraham was not the teacher's pet. His life was not a charmed life. It was hard. It was difficult. But Abraham lived as God's friend. He responded to life as God's friend. And he believed that no matter what, God was for him. And as one author put it, being a friend of God, or being a friend to anyone, but especially being God's friend, is about relationship. It's not about a function. Today we have so-called friends, if we can call it friendship, because of what they can do for us. Or people might be friends with us for what they can get out of us. It is pragmatic. It is functional. Do something that offends them, or wherein they conclude that you are not much worth the trouble, and then you find out the truth. Or or think of it this way. Let's say someone is seeking you out. They want to be your friend. They call you. uh, They ask you to hang out. They take an interest in your life. And you find yourself reciprocating. And then one day you walk by and you overhear them. They don't know you're there. And you overhear them speaking. And it's clear that they have uh, singled you out for friendship because of what they're hoping you can do for them. That you would benefit them somehow socially or economically or whatever. You would probably, you would probably resent that. And you would conclude that such a person is, is no friend, not, not really. Abraham was not God's friend in order to network with him. 
Abraham found everyday practical ways to express appreciation and loyalty to God. Abraham was not in love with a dream or or apprising after an ideal. He was God's friend, period. Now, think about your relationship with God. Is it just functional? You have needs. God is able to meet those needs. So, so what? Do you love God? Do you love God for who He is or only for what He can do for you? Now, don't get me wrong. The Lord God has done the unimaginable for us. And that is what causes us to come running to Him. He has saved you, rescued you from sin, death, and hell. He has brought you to Himself. So now what? Now that He has done that, what now? Seriously. He has done all of that for you, but not then to just turn you over to go your own way. Okay, but then for what? What does God want with you now? Is it wrong to say He wants you to live as His friend? Like Abraham did. Abraham's life is curiously absent of accomplishment. Again, just read the chapters. His intercession for Sodom being the exception, Abraham doesn't seem to have asked God, his friend, for anything. Friendship isn't mercantile. It isn't utilitarian. In fact, with true friendship, you don't really have to get anything done. It doesn't have to do anything. Everything that Abraham does, building altars, going on journeys never seems to be about staying on good terms with God so as to get something, but rather were spontaneous acts of love and and thankfulness and expressions made to honor and respect. Uh, Eugene Peterson uh, concludes this about Abraham. If we think of him as the star quarterback on God's salvation team, we will most certainly misunderstand both Abraham and ourselves. His life is enveloped in deep shadows. The times in which he lived are obscure and dark, little known to historian and archaeologist. But what emerges out of all of that is a friend. So as you read the story of Abraham, looking for the following aspects of, God's, of being God's friend, and then look and see if, if you have those kind of friends, and more importantly, are you that kind of friend? Look for these. First, friendship means that there is covenant That is, there is a relationship established where promises, or if you would rather, commitments are made to stay in that relationship, to see that relationship through. This is what a marriage is supposed to be and why vows are taken. It is a brave and rugged commitment to another person no matter what. So it only makes sense that in a culture where marriage has been gutted, that true friendships would be an anomaly. Good friends know what each other is thinking, how the other behaves, when they are serious, when they are playing. When Abraham, as Hebrews says, by faith went to sacrifice his son Isaac, he is by that time quite familiar with Yahweh and his ways. 
Abraham had obeyed when God called him to leave home without telling him where he was going. He had fought against kidnappers. He had struggled with Pharaoh. He had watched Sodom explode. And he had been circumcised as an adult. And he had been circumcised as an adult. Yes, twice I said that. As an adult. And as mentioned, he even laughed at God. Laughing at the absolute bizarreness of God promising a 90-year-old man that he would have a son. But do you see what is happening through all of that? Abraham is learning who God is, what he likes, the way he works. He's beginning to understand that the Lord is not predictable. He is learning that God's word is always true and it can always be trusted, no matter what it looks like. And sometimes it looks like nothing you would ever have imagined. But Abraham learned to be okay with that. Douglas Jones writes this, For Abraham, the command to sacrifice Isaac was only a horror story on the surface. He saw through it. He knew that God was holy, compassionate, and dangerous. No wonder Abraham was a friend of God. He wasn't embarrassed by him. He loved his dangerousness. And that is how you become a friend of Yahweh. Second, friendship means there is presence. God promises his presence to Abraham, as he does throughout the Bible, even Jesus promising us, I will be with you always. Jesus would be called Emmanuel, which means God with us. And even in Revelation 21, eternity is a place where God is in the midst with us forever. God might have, he might have saved us from our sin applied the work of Jesus to us, and then left us. And we would, for that simple fact, have cause to worship and praise Him forever and ever. And we would have called God many things for doing that for us. But friend would not be one of them. If you love someone, you want to spend time with them. You want to be with them. As God wants to be with us, evidenced by the truth that He came in the flesh to be with us, evidenced by the truth that He has orchestrated all of time to conclude with His presence with us forever. To have friendship, to have love, you you seek out the loved one's presence. You want to be with one another. Otherwise, it's not love. It's not friendship. There's no relationship. Third, friendship is advocacy. This is very simple. God was on Abraham's side. He was in his corner. He has his back. And as odd as it sounds, in spite of all of his failures, the same could be said of Abraham. He was on God's side. He was a defender of God. No matter what crazy, even painful thing God asked him to do or led him into. This morning we read John 15. And Jesus is saying to his disciples, to you and me, two things that Abraham would have been saying, shouting amen to. First, that friendships are like-minded, wanting the same things, moving along life's path with the same desire, the glory, the honor of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That is why Jesus says, you are my friends if you do what I command. He is not saying, earn my friendship by obedience. No, he is saying that our obedience is simply the proof that our souls are knit to His. Our desire is to honor the Father, even as that was 
Jesus' desire. And that means we are friends. Second, that friendships are built on love and love is demonstrated by sacrifice. Again, do you think Abraham understood sacrifice? Well, here's the problem. We are creatures of comfort and ease. We generally don't like relationships that demand much of us. Minor acts of kindness might uh, gladly be extended to a stranger at the grocery store. After all, we won't see them again. There's no ongoing cost to help a stranger. But listening to another believer's burden or heartache, not once, not twice, not only three times. And, and let me ask you this. What if they can't shake it? What if it haunts them all their days and they just can't bear it alone? Have you ever wondered at times... Oh, I know you have. Certainly you have. Wondered if the Savior doesn't just get tired of you. So many of your prayers and pleas are about the same things over and over again. The same fears. The same regrets that you wish could be fixed or that you wish would go away. But they can't be fixed. And they don't go away. And then you read this. Jesus is your friend. And I don't mean in that sappy, sentimental way it's so often used today. He isn't going to grow weary of bearing you up. He's not going to grow weary of bearing with you. Why? Because friends don't. Far too often, if we are honest, in our hearts we simply say, no, I don't want to get that entangled. Sorry, I'm just too pressed. In your life, your sin is too messy. But that is not the kind of friend God was to Abraham. Nor did Abraham even flinch when God called him to make sacrifices that we can't even imagine. Nor is that the kind of friend Jesus is to us. And it is not the kind of friend we want to be to one another. I want to read something to you that I read in Sunday school a number of months ago about friendship. Some of you, after I read this, asked me for it, so it seemed to resonate, so I thought I would revisit it and share it again. It is from Nate Larkin's book called Samson and the Pirate Monks, and Mr. Larkin writes this. You've probably seen that poor fellow who decided one day to be honest in a Christian meeting. Maybe he had been caught in a sin, so he really had nothing left to lose. Or perhaps he was so plagued by guilt that he decided to take the church's rhetoric about grace and forgiveness at face value and bear his soul in a desperate bid for freedom. I remember a guy who did that. As soon as the fateful words were uttered, he looked around hoping somebody would say, Yeah, me too. But all he heard were crickets. After a pause, a curious investigator launched into spiritual cross-examination. Then a few concerned ex-sinners gathered around him and preached a series of sermons disguised as prayers. Finally, a helpful brother prescribed three scripture verses to be taken in the morning and at bedtime. Later, the guy was assigned a probation officer, excuse me, an accountability partner who would check in on him from time to time to make sure he had actually turned around. To make matters worse, 
As he left the meeting, that poor guy was struck by the realization that he had just volunteered to become the church's new topic of conversation. Suddenly he knew that telephone lines were already humming with the latest prayer request. Next Sunday, his suspicions were confirmed. The sidelong glances, the awkward silences, the careful distances kept by his former associates, their wives and others, verified that his disclosure was now common currency in the congregation. His men's group did not understand the meaning of the words, whoever covers an offense seeks love. Sometimes love is better served by silence. Sometimes what we need is empathy, not a sermon. A cop is someone who is just looking over your shoulder for you to screw up. We don't need any more accountability cops in the church. Christians have come up with some very religious and sanitized ways of being jerks. But a real friend isn't someone who merely polices your life. True friends are fellow travelers, not cops. A real friend is someone who gets in the vehicle with you, helps you drive in the lanes, travels with you in life in good times and bad, helps you look out for the potholes, helps you read the road signs, and helps you get to where you're going. Brothers and sisters, that is who God was for Abraham. And isn't that exactly who Jesus is for us? In the Eucharist, is the Savior telling us that He has seen our screw-ups and that we are not worthy? Or is this the way He proves to us, week in and week out, that He is our friend, one who travels with us, one who helps us read the road signs, one who has given His very life that He might help us get to where we are going. Are you friends with God? Do you know His ways, His joys? Do you know what He loves, what He wants? What kind of friends do you have? Or maybe better, what kind of friend are you? Brothers and sisters, behold, this is friendship. The body and blood of Christ given to his friends.